to open all ours the qpr podcast we are back together in north london near arsenal near the emirates but there's no game they played yesterday against pompey uh and we've got a real treat of guests um we've got our finance guru who's gonna be diving deep into qpr's finance later rahul hello and we have our patron and sponsor, and is it how many episodes have you sponsored, Paul? Um, this is the third one. This is the third one. Paul, and I'm I really don't want to mispronounce your name here because I think it's really insulting. Paul Smelovich. Very good. Yeah, good. Okay, uh, and Clive. All right, F bomb. <laughs> how are and, you? And um, your your name's fine to pronounce, so that's fine. This is true. Yeah. <laughs> you, don't, you don't ever get Clive. No, Clive. I get. I get live a lot when i'm doing eastern european panel sessions which is you know and Clive. i mean it's just it, it's bad isn't it being called clive so we just we get through it as best we can rangers unbeaten run yes the podcast last week i think it was on thursday that finney and um david did a skype session that was about the playoffs um <laughs> probably unlikely but last few games have been not bad They've been enjoyable. That's the that's the most important thing, I guess. When you're fourteenth in the league, I'm enjoying watching the watching the team. I'm sure we'll go into how they can't defend set pieces and you know shoot themselves in the foot a lot. But to to focus on the positives to start with, we're really good to watch. Score loads of goals. Um, second goal on Saturday was beautiful. Um, just I'm enjoying going down there. Like, I know we had a bad run in January and whatever, but overall, I've enjoyed the season. I think it's been. It's been good. They're a good team to watch. It's not often we've been able to say that about ours. So, you know, I'm pretty positive. Not positive enough to say we're going playoffs and or or even that I think we'll get a result at Preston because I don't think we probably won't. But it's, it's not the point. I've just, uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed Saturday even though we, we didn't win. And you're right because on paper, Derby and Saturday, I was looking at that thinking these could be two really boring games because two teams who are really out of much of the action um, – and nothing really to play for. I, I was I was surprised and relieved that they weren't like dire nil nil situations. Yeah, I mean to steal one of to steal one of our group's jokes. I mean you only had to take one look at that derby team to realise we, we were quids in because it was pancake day. I mean have you ever seen <laughs> a championship team in the shape that Derby are in when they had Martin and Waghorn and Rooney all together up front in the second half? That must have been setting some sort of weight record for championship <laughs> championship forwards. Um, heard an amazing story that their chairman actually agrees with this um, and uh, read the riot act with the canteen staff at the training ground before Christmas so like portions were changed the menu was changed and whatever and three weeks later he drove past Greg's and half of his squad were queuing out the door in Greg's for a little no. for a little top up so yeah I mean not to not to you know cause the podcast libelous problems you know within the first five minutes but I just I, I mean Derby looks heavy and everything you would expect from a Derby team the way They've gone about things over the last few years, and Birmingham were unbeaten in eleven or twelve before Saturday, and you could you could kind of see why I thought with their forward line Hogan causes problems, but yeah, four points, great, great week. 
It, by the way, on the Greggs, I think there actually is a Greggs in Darby Stadium. Mm. Yes, yeah, there is. Yeah, <laughs> there so is. they should probably start. They yeah. should probably start with that. But <laughs> yeah, I, I think. I mean, uh, we're not. We're way too inconsistent, and we don't defend well enough to go on a long enough run to get to the playoffs. We can score goals, but the way we defend, we're just not going to be able to string together enough wins. I, I don't really rate us to get the scrappy one nil that you need to actually make the playoff run. So. I'm with Clive. I'm just enjoying watching Ezzy and Bright while they're still here. And Ezzy in particular has just played so well the last few matches. I just every little piece of skill he does uh, against Darby, he did that little scorpion back heel kind of mm. perfect pass. Just everything he does, I'm, I'm savoring it because I think we only have five or six more home matches to watch him. Yeah, he really kicked on. I think it was Huddersfield away. We were starting to wonder whether he was going to do what he did last season when we played him every minute of every game as we have done this time. Um, whether he was going to sort of slope off with his form in the second half of the season, but the, I think first half at Huddersfield, I was like, we're, you know, we're watching some player here, and QPR were pretty bad that day, but he was he just looked a class apart, and like you say, in the game since then, he's just been. I mean, it's just a pleasure to to pay and go and watch him play, yeah. isn't it? In some respects, actually, it's it's funny. I think now he's maybe looking forward to his next move and trying to build up his his YouTube highlight reel because. There are a lot of times where he's being a little bit less pragmatic and going for the cheeky flick or the little bit of extra skill, the extra pass. The, even him with chair doing the one touch, two touch passing. I think against Derby, he bit against, gratuitous against <laughs> Birmingham City. He definitely could have. I think he tried to chip the keeper in the second half. When, and there was one in the first half where he d- he did too much on the edge of the box when yeah. there was a there was a shot to, there was a shot to get away. I think Bright was it. I oh, know it was chair after um, after he scored against Derby just dropped a little comment into his interview saying uh, he was surprised that Eze actually passed him because he's, he's been shooting a lot more recently, a little bit like a little sort yeah. of dig back. But yeah. honestly, just the way it's going, I can live with that because I'm just going for entertainment. I don't really care as much about the results. So seeing the players playing express themselves, I actually prefer that than being more pragmatic and trying to churn out uh, meaningless results at this point. Mm. And I, I, I'd agree. I think the one of the real big exciting things is just throughout the season, and in particular, it feels in the last three, four games and the run we've been on, Bright, Osse, Samuel and Eze are just giving us magic moments, aren't they? Just those pieces, you know, I watch it with my two kids who are seven and nine, and they're less concerned about the scoreline. They're much more, every time Eze or Osse Samuel gets the ball, what are they going to do? And the, the thing I loved as well that I noticed on in the Birmingham game is actually the work rate of Bright or say Samuel he did yeah, you know where the, 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 when the ball was going out and he won the free kick and off the free kick we scored and it's that you know it's that first phase which led to I think it was the equaliser or the yeah exactly yeah. how are you um, preparing to uh, uh, or how are you planning to, to let your kids know that the two of them are going <laughs> That's probably um, not going to be a very easy conversation. Um, so when, when Charlie Austin left, my eldest, who's nine, cried. Same. Uh, when I, I don't blame him. <laughs> um, so I don't, um, I don't know yet. I, I'm, I'm an optimist, so I'm holding on to, I think we shouldn't be defeatist, and there could be some way that we might keep at least one of them for next season. Um, but I don't know if that's wishful thinking yeah it may it maybe is it may be i think Eze is definitely going and has to go with his, mm. with his contract situation and the accounts which will will come on to you can just you can see the the shortfall there will be in the next set of accounts with the parachute payment going away and it's basically covered by what Eze is being valued at so i think it's inevitable that he'll go but maybe we could use the, some of the money that comes in to get bright and 
Manning on extended contracts. On the defensive point, we bright to say, Samuel, him and Rangel have really tightened that right side that was quite loose earlier in the season because Kane's not a particularly defensive fullback. Um, but Bright coming back and doubling up on people with Rangel because he goes up and down his work rate and he's so strong, Bright. Mm. I like nobody muscles him off the ball. His defence, not what you'd notice about him, but he really does the hard yards down there, which I think is helping Rangel. Defending from set pieces. <laughs> Our good friend Jack from Opta, I texted him earlier today and asked him if he could um, ping over uh, the official stats he has, and he's the king of stats, on our goals conceded from set pieces. We're the worst in the league, if you include penalties. And there was a there was a period when Johan Barbe was fit at the start of the season where we did concede a lot of penalties. We could have conceded one on Saturday. Yeah. I would have wanted yeah. that if that had been us. Yeah. And uh, and they were, I can tell you, they were fuming in the tunnel about that afterwards. Yeah. Um, so it's 24 in total, if you include pens, uh, in terms of set-piece con- goals conceded. Derby have 22. So we're the worst by two. So 24 in total. Birmingham, 21. Huddersfield, 21. Wigan, 21. So Jack's sent across the top five. If you don't include penalties, we're not the worst. Wigan, is it? Wigan's the yeah. worst. We're the fourth worst. Wigan, Huddersfield, Cardiff... Uh, in front of us, but Cardiff is joint, so that's only by alphabetical. <laughs> um, so we're technically third Cardiff, joint. I'm worst. surprised. Yeah. Um, there was conversations um, in the tunnel afterwards about, and I know I think Clive, you were thinking the same. Is this modern um, style of why? Why are we? Why do people not? Why do you not have two people? standing in the goal on the line and defending like that way. Why is it always trying to man mark? And also my question is, we've got big defenders. Why are these big defenders not getting to the ball? I went out for lunch today with basically a zonal marking evangelist who's basically <laughs> tried to talk me round and whatever. It looks to me like as a complete layman that our setup is basically three or four players zonally mark along the edge of the six yard box and then three and sometimes four others pick up the opposition's most dangerous headers man-to-man. The problem with that is that the people we use for the zonal marking tends to be Hall Mm. or Barbe, Masterson and Cameron, who are our four strongest players in the air, which means the man-marking's being done by people who naturally aren't that good in the air. So you end up with situations like for the Waghorn goal, Waghorn was being marked by Pugh. And I think Forrest scored their first goal at Loftus Road earlier this season with a centre-back piling in over the top of Amos, maybe. And people say, if somebody, if you do man-marking and somebody scores, they blame the defender whose job it was to mark the player. If you're zonal marking and you concede, it could still be an individual's fault, but the system gets the blame. Um, and, you know, old-fashioned British football fans have a thing against zonal marking or whatever. So I, I do get it, but sometimes... If it looks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, it's a duck. And having your four best headers of the ball standing free while four smaller guys try and man-mark and you concede... We basically conceded three in a week because the Forest one was only disallowed because the ball was moving. It's obviously not working. It sounds counterintuitive. It is counterintuitive and it's not working. Do you think it's unfair to say that footballers are so... almost computerized everything they're on autopilot all the time that trying to like coach them into zonal marking is extremely difficult Look, i've never I, properly. i've never played football and i've never coached football and i've already <laughs> spoken above my station so i don't know but 
It, it, it just, feels it looks, like something I've never seen someone do well. It, looks, it, look, it just looks wrong. And we we called the, the second goal where we were sitting. Before the corner was taken, we were just like, this setup looks unbelievable. <laughs> it looks like we're trying to concede here. Mm. Dean was unmarked, who's like just six foot them, enormous. It's just giving them so much space. And you're also give, basically giving them a head start because they've got a run up to get to you. Well, so even if you are a big player, yeah. you, you're, you're almost going from a standing start and you've got someone running onto you at speed who then can get to the ball first. Well, you know that's what I think. But. Yeah, I mean, I'm not the person to ask about playing football. I, I, I'm the one who's doing <laughs> the accounts. Yeah, I'm doing the discussion of the accounts later, so <laughs> clearly that's not my expertise. But I actually, I mean, obviously it's not working. I do feel like that is something that we can improve and, and, and work on and practice in the training ground. But actually, I have a, more of an issue with Warburton from a more of a philosophical perspective, which is we just have... I just don't think at times he's, and I know I'm contradicting what I said earlier, but I think at times he's just not pragmatic enough. Even against Derby, we're winning 2-1. A lot of managers just say, we're going to see this game out. Game's going to end. We have Manning bombing down the left channel at the end of the game. Derby had three pretty clean chances in the last five or six minutes. Mm. So I don't think he has it in him. I think he's really one of those Pep Guardiola type purists who doesn't believe in doing the dark arts like Preston, which I would like to see more because I think Stuff I mean, we like did it well against Forest. we did it well against Forest that dark artery. Yeah, and I think we have seen flashes of it, but I just when I see Manning running down the wing at the end of the match, or players not going to the corner, or doing the faking injuries, we just I I, feel, I wish we had just do a little bit more of that because the Derby game could have ended like the Charlton game. They they had some pretty clean chances. Yeah, it really could. And that's something I think that will be harder to change. Whereas coaching set pieces, we could theoretically get better if we maybe change or f- change the way we, uh, the players we use and the personnel, but the philosophical point, I'm not sure Warburton is flexible enough to, to see out a match. No, but yeah. so, um, I sort of, I knew I was going to do this tonight, come here and moan about conceding from corners and whatever, when I'm genuinely happy. And I think the manager's done an excellent Same, job. Totally agree. So for all of, you know, he is an idealist. He does lack pragmatism and it has cost us this season, but 70% of what it's brought us has been wonderful because mm. you compare us to watching McLaren's team. I'd far rather watch this team. So we, it's like 70% good and 30% bad, but of course you come on a podcast and you tend to pick away. And also you're, you pretty, pick a, you're a pretty miserable guy. Just, I, like, just, <laughs> just like I am too. So yeah, it's, we're going to point out the negative. Yeah, podcast uh, to kill yourself too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I would agree that it's, it's quite clear that Warburton isn't very flexible, very setting stone in playing out from the back, all of that kind of stuff. I, I agree with the comment. I feel like we've got a bit of a hybrid model in defence of go with one or the other. It feels like we're doing a combination of two, and I'm certainly no expert. Pick which one because it's not really working. Or swap the players around. Or swap the players. But why can't Pew, Amos and that lot do the zonal bit? And then Mark Harley Dean with Jeff Cameron or something. It just it just looks the wrong way around before you've even taken the kick mm. to me. I feel like we could go on and on about zonal and unzonal and what's the best way to defend when none of us probably know the right answer to that. So let's uh, let Raul get on with his uh, little special um, spreadsheet. Is this going to be a Steve McLaren PowerPoint? <laughs> yeah, no, I did, I did prepare a few little notes. I've, I've spotted some highlighter there. So there was a bit of conversation on Twitter last week. Um, QPR's latest accounts for eighteen nineteen came out. Uh, Kieran Maguire, who does the Price of Football Twitter account, is always good on the on these sorts of days because he does a little mini thread, kind of picking out some of the top bits. 
But we've gone one better because Raul's has, got, has printed it out and has gone through it with a fine tooth comb. He even came here, here in here earlier and said that he was going to cut out some of the stuff because he thought it would be maybe go above people's heads. No, well, not not exactly like that. <laughs> and like I didn't really bore, com- bore really, people yeah, too much. Exactly. I've never worried about that, mate. So just crack on. <laughs> well, I think um, the the quick uh, snapshot is that we are doing a lot better as a club financially. Uh, we are going to have some challenges going forward as the parachute payments go down. But maybe just to, to back up for a second, the FFP regulations that we talk about basically prohibit a club from losing 39 million pounds over a rolling three-year period. So looking at the last few years, um, QPR, and certain losses don't count towards the the losses. So losses relating to women's football, losses or investments in uh, the academy don't count towards FFP. Um, but yeah, looking at the last few years in, in 17, 18, we had a stated loss of $37 million. Um, about $20 million of that relates to the FFP fine. We recorded $5 million of income related to the FFP fine in finance income. Again, this is too much detail, but our losses for that year are some, probably somewhere in the range of $20 million. This year, we reported a loss of $10 million. Um, and again, some of those losses we can exclude. So we do have a little bit of headroom for this year. The big uh, concern for us going forward is that Part of the reason our losses are a little bit less is because we were receiving parachute payments. Last year, or the last financial year, was the last year where we received parachute payments. They amounted to $17 million. So uh, once we stop getting parachute payments, we get this thing called solidarity payments from the Premier League, which are worth about $5 million. So we basically have to close a hole of about £12 million pounds um, Looks like revenue. an Ibira Eze-shaped hole to yeah. me. Yeah. Well, so this would be this would be for this this current year that we're in right, right now. Right, yeah. um, so we'd have to sell them before the thirty first of May. Yeah. I, I think <laughs> we're probably. I think we're probably fine. Or actually, I'm not totally sure. But the Lihu's, I, I definitely trust that they're keeping us within mm-hmm. within the realm. But uh, in terms of thinking about the drivers of, I guess to overly simplify this, the the main drivers of our financial performance are. On the revenue side, or at least the variables that we can change, player sales, so that, that's a big driver. Um, and then parachute payments, which we're going to lose. And on the cost side, it's wages and then transfer fees paid. One of the things that I see discussed a lot, which I actually think is not a major variable, is uh, gate receipts. So that those are basically ticket sales. We, we make uh, revenues of about $5 million, or we've made revenues of about $5 million for the last few years. Last year, we actually made 500000 more than the previous year, even though our league attendances were the same. Do you know why we made 500000 more? Are you asking me or are you going to yeah, tell me? Because I know you ranted about this the other week. Is it just prices? It's, no, it's, it's the... It, the attendances declared are not the actual... No, well, it's FA Cup run. Uh, oh, of the, course, in, yeah. In the stated financial... Yeah, yeah, of course, because the, the Watford game yeah, sold the, out. The revenues... Yeah. The Let's revenue not start on that again. <laughs> it only makes about a 500,000 difference. But but yeah, no, I, I see a lot of discussion about how we, we can't do other events and our ticket sales and we're limited in that respect. I, I think that's a bit of a red herring because mm-hmm. I looked at some of the other clubs that are big clubs that have bigger capacities and bigger attendances. Leeds, for instance, had uh, only about 11 million in revenues from tickets. Uh, Villa was also in the same range. So... Basically, if we sell one Luke Freeman, that's the equivalent mm. of that $5 million mm. gap. So really, the drivers are going to be selling players and cutting our wages. Um, we have been, over time, uh, cutting our wages more and more. We've gone from $30 million in 16-17, million in 17-18, million last year. It looks like we're probably going to come down a bit more this year as we've thinned out our squad. And then we've also sold a lot more players as well, so... 
uh, Freeman, Furlong, Matt Smith, uh, Luongo, Sko, and Ingram. So it, it does seem like we're moving in the right direction of of, uh, of bringing our losses down. I think we should be able to defray much of that $12 million that we're going to lose in parachute payments. Yeah, I got nothing for Scowan, by the way. But, oh, really? But yeah, no. And um, in the, um, the player sales this mm-hmm. time, because we always... Another podcast favorite is the undisclosed fee. Yeah. <laughs> but when the accounts come out, you can kind of get Work an idea. Because yeah. we only... In theory, we only sold two players in this set of accounts, right? And it's yeah, Smithies Scylla, and Scylla. Exactly. So I figured that maybe Smithies went for about three and a half million... Um, which is about the figure, and we maybe got four hundred thousand for Scylla. I've had a nudge that actually that all of that money is Smithies, and we got nothing for Scylla. It was just someone took his took his wage offers. Really? Um, so three point nine for Smithies is somewhat fa- slightly fairer than Finney. And and I ranted about at the time about as under, underselling players. I think what's really re- reassuring is that obviously this um, these accounts were for last season where we still had Luongo, Freeman, quite high earners, um, Bidwell as well. What I think is reassuring is that even with them in the team, the average wage was 11,000, which I think um, was the fourth lowest in the league. So next season... Oh, this so the the accounts coming, which would be this season, we should be dropping even further. And um, on on Kieran Maguire's thread, he was saying to break even, we would need to be paying up an average of about four k a week. Now, we probably won't hit that low, but I think we'd be getting to towards the eight k, which is really really low for the second tier of English football. So if we can do that, that's pretty bloody impressive. Yeah, and I, I think to think about the cost side and what we're paying for our players. It's not just the wages that we're play- paying on average. It's also the number of players that, we, that we're currently playing or have on our squad. So I remember two years ago when we had the mismatch, the, the kind of jumble of Ollie's squad and Hasselbank's squad. We had probably the biggest squad in the championship. Mm. And now our squad is pretty tiny. I mean, how many senior players are not making the, the, the game yeah. squad? Well, I, I used to get a bit of stick on Twitter because I, I used to take a picture of the back of the program every week saying, I think there isn't a, you're not going to see a squad all season as big as ours a couple of years yeah, ago. Yeah, exactly. And now I look every week and it's the other way around. Yeah, I mean, the only, I mean, the first guy off the bench or who's not making the squad is Shadipo, who's basically a U23 mm-hmm. player. So it's a far cry from having guys like Sean Goss and Wheeler, who were actually pros with, well, not Goss, didn't have any exper- uh, appearances. <laughs> but, that was the point. But uh, <laughs> but was earning. Yeah, there there were a lot of players who, who were on decent wages who were not even making the, the, the first team squad. I think, I, I think it... I don't think they get enough credit and I, it's possibly because people think we're just going to cut and cut and cut forever, but we have to get to a point mm-hmm. where we bottom out and move forward. Like I said on the last podcast, you're not going to get people to cheer an accounting exercise, but I think it's remarkable that we've gone from the wage bill we had. I mean, back in the day it was 80 million. That was only sort of five, six years ago. We were paying 80 million in salaries to get it down to 20 million without suffering the sort of Sunderland, Bradford catastrophic mm-hmm. collapse on the pitch People look at us, we've been 16th for four years, we take the piss out of that. But to do that while halving your wage bill, halving it again, and nearly halving it again, I think is is an amazing achievement. I was a little bit worried about these accounts because whatever anybody says, there's no way they intended at the end of the Steve McLaren summer transfer window to have to bring four senior Premier League players in, in on loans and short-term contract. And I was worried about how much of that progress we'd made into the wage bill that might have blown. Cause as we often say, 
these Premier League clubs don't loan you a player for yeah. free. Um, so it was nice to see that big chunk coming off the wage bill again this time. And I just, it can't fail to have gone down significantly yeah. with what, who left and who came in last summer. Yeah, and, and one of the things that comes to mind as well is I've, I've, I've been fortunate to meet Lee Hughes a couple of times and um, it's not that sexy, but the last three, four years, we've really started to get our house in order <laughs> and it feels like that sets us up and there I even saying you guys will have a view and a better understanding, but puts us in a stronger position when there are clubs that are probably still yet to go through the cycle, which we've kind of gone through some of the pain. Um, the, the only hesitation I have is whether you know, the rules will be as tough on some of the other clubs as they have to some extent been on us. If they are, then actually the next three to five years could be really exciting because we'll be stable and then, you know, you grow again. Yeah, I've heard that argument. I'm actually skeptical for a number of reasons. First, just from a regulation perspective, there's no, it's not clear how they're going to enforce it. But second, it may actually have a perverse impact whereby if you make it much less competitive and all these other teams get fined, it actually makes it easier to go up. So then you might see rich American and Chinese and Indian coming owners over. coming in and mm. saying, oh, why don't I buy Rotherham? This is a prime time to try to go up. So it actually may have the opposite effect. But I think the bigger issue is that I don't think the regulations are really going to... I mean, every single club is looks like they're going to have an issue complying mm. with these, these uh, profit and loss requirements and... A number of clubs are doing things that are skirting the. the yeah, if you look around where we are in the table, basically yeah. above and below us, everyone's at it. Whether it's like inflating the value of a stadium, selling selling the assets to yourself, or just looking at Forest Nottingham Forest whole squad and how you know even Bristol City's the fees they've been playing for absolutely nobody's from academies. I mean, you feel like nobody is complying with this. I just um, when you when you speak to who's about it, he doesn't sort of focus on the FFP anymore. He focuses on the point that you know all these, although these accounts are better, we still lost what ten, eleven million yeah, 10, pounds, 11. which was put in by the board on an interest-free basis. They're basically it's like they're just putting it in. They're paying ten million pounds to run the club on a season, and and that's still a lot of money. I remember when we used to shit our pants about the ABC loan, which was only ten million pounds. Um, and he doesn't talk about the FFP. He talks about getting us to a point where QPR do not need mm. a rich benefactor to give them £10 million just to exist as a 16th mm. place yeah. championship team. So I, I looked at this as well in terms of where else we can cut and how the club can become sustainable. Um, really, in terms of other ways to cut, there is still some room to cut wages. There isn't that much, though. I think the lowest, uh, the club with the lowest wages on aggregate other than Rotherham, whose wages are ridiculously low. I think Millwall is the second lowest at about 15 or 16 million. So we have about 8 million where we can come down and there are other teams mm. that are still paying around that much and staying competitive. Um, and then really we just have to sell players. And that's the only way we can be sustainable. Yeah. And I think that is probably the model we have. I think, I'm not, I don't know if we should give the board credit for this, but in terms of hiring a manager who's going to fatten the pigs and make their stats look really good, they hired a smart manager who will invest in young players who will, I mean, Yugel has 15 goals or however many goals Wells has had 12 or 13 goals. So he's really making these players look a lot better as well. Um, so he's, if this is the strategy to, to buy young players, develop them, sell them on, uh, we definitely have the right manager for that. That is the only way we can do it. And you see what Brentford have managed to do. They make a loss, but they're within FFP and they're in a much smaller ground and all of the problems that we've got, albeit moving to a bigger ground. But they 
regularly sell players for between eight and 12 million pounds, players that they bought just a year before sometimes for three million, like concert. Yeah. I don't see any other way for a club of QPR size and in QPR situation with the rules of the league as they are. I don't see any other way of us moving up the league um, and being able to buy players other than really regularly selling, you know, not just one, but a couple of players a summer for serious wedge. And you mentioned Bristol City, but Bristol City sold two defenders last summer for for about 34 million quid. And they've sold in years, they sold Flint, they sold Kadra. They've been selling for a long time. Yeah, so I know Ferdinand Ferdinand gets stick because every time he's interviewed, they go, oh, can you guarantee that our young players won't be sold? And he's like, no, the opposite. (laughs) And And people give him stick for that. But... Of course, the the problem is replacing them with someone that will also then be sold. Um, I think it's also we as a club haven't had a history recently of actually selling players for a profit. So we get, I mean, I thought it was pretty funny how attached all of the QPR fans got to Naki Wells, who is basically a loan player. And Brentford has basically, they develop a good player and they just sell them on every single year. And I think their fan base now has become accustomed to understanding yeah, don't get attached. The best players. And I think we'll slowly get back to that level where they could maybe do playing. with pushing the message rather than, of course, they're for sale. They're obviously for sale. What's wrong with you? They could maybe push the idea that, well, if we do sell, yeah. once the accounts are where they should be, because at the moment, a lot of the Freeman money and whatever yeah. will just go into offsetting loss and getting us under the, they could maybe push the message a little bit more that in future, were we to get, you know, let's say fifteen million pound for a player, we could go out and buy a couple of four million pound players mm-hmm. that we then div- you know, there will mm. be, we need people maybe need to see a bit of that light at the end. Then of yeah, the there needs to be a, I guess a bit more of establishing a long term vision is saying, Well you can have this if we have this, so don't just think about it, oh it's gonna it's gonna be it, the player's gonna be sold and that's it. People need to know that they're gonna be sold for a reason, you know. Yeah, but I mean, they did that. Bless them. They did like a twenty-five minute video over at the end of January where they all sat there looking like they're on death row, <laughs> you know. And short of getting the finger puppets out, I'm not sure how much more clearly they could have explained it. But so, you know, people that don't want to listen. Yeah, of course. Of on course. the on the flip side, you know, if you were to be critical, you don't get. You don't monetize your asset as much as you should if your asset only has 12 months to run on his contracts. Yeah, yeah. And I know you can't force players to sh- to sign contracts. And if I was Brighter say Samuel's agent, I wouldn't be in a rush to get him to sign a contract because he's played his way into the thinking of probably every lower Premier League upper mm. championship scout in the country at the moment. But to allow your three most sellable assets mm. to all be, coming, all get, be getting to that point where they're in the last 12 months of their contract that's not Mm. terrific, however it's come about. Well, I want to touch on attendances because you talked a little bit about it there and we're not alone um, in this division and also across English football of not having the best attendance over the last years. When you look at, you know, watch Soccer Saturday or whatever and they have the reporter, you know, with their face to the camera, you look behind them and there's plenty of grounds where attendances are pretty crap. Majeski being one of the worst in this and and Derby County as well uh, are not great at home. But... This season, the football's been better. We've all chatted about that. The prices have broadly remained the same. Tuesday night felt like a bit of a low. It was obviously freezing cold and on telly. Um, the official attendance was 11, uh, 11669, but that includes season ticket holders, which inevitably don't turn up, including some of my family members. So that's in- completely inflated. 
what I know there's lots of levels to it. You know, the sky factor, the weather factor, the fact that we're, we're in the same, the coronavirus, the fact we're in the same place <laughs> that we've been over the last couple of seasons. But w- what's happened? Why have the why? Uh, why am I feeling like attendance has got to such low? I did have some good normal conversations with people on Twitter about this, with people having lots of opinions. Some people saying, you know, we used to work a lot harder um, at attracting people to games because, you know, the community, um, the QPR Trust are doing fantastic work in the community in terms of supporting programs, coaching, food banks and all that kind of stuff. But people were saying they're maybe not doing enough in the attendance variety to to create fans, uh, as well as the prices obviously being a massive factor. It's London football, it's expensive and does, you know, the the quality reflect the price. There's lots of elements, but how do we change this? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I guess the most obvious way would be to decrease prices. But then once you do that, is the volume increase going to do enough to offset the the, the, the loss in, in revenues from price? But let's put aside the financial bit because I don't think that's the most important thing. I honestly have no clue because it's uh, the football this year has been so good and we have three amazing players and also Ilias Chair, my my adopted son, who I, I love Ilias Chair. <laughs> So much. I can quite imagine you like hanging out he, with him as your son. Yeah, he, Did you sell him that coat? <laughs> yeah. I wish. I wish. I that mean, coat is rascal. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I, 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 it is kind of frustrating now. Um, I mean, even whatever seeing Wayne Rooney's Derby County, you'd think that some people might have some fascination to watching this washed-up beached whale play at Loftus <laughs> Road, but. It is frustrating. I, I don't know what. I imagine what the tendencies would be like if we were playing bad football. That's that's the scary part. But something has been lost. I mean, I've only been going for about seven years, but even from the initial years I went, there did seem to be more atmosphere. The crowd, there was always. It seemed to be the crowds were bigger, and I don't know. It just something has been lost in the last two or three years. Is is there anything in the accounts? One of the things I travel quite a bit of work, and actually, I've probably watched more live games when I've been abroad this season than being able to get to the stadium. I think I've been four times, but I've actually watched six or seven games abroad. And I just wondered whether at some point that becomes, and I don't know if there is anything in the accounts, quite an attractive cash cow revenue stream of people paying the, I think it's a tenner, um, to yeah, actually be able I, I to watch those games. Works. It is I, can, I can shed yeah. a little bit of light on that. Um, Last, uh, and the reason, the difference you'll have noticed is that the highlights, the short highlights that appear on YouTube and the club website straight after the game now have a generic dubbed on Football League commentary, um, which a lot of people have complained about because they want to hear Andy Sinton, you know, yelling over our goals (laughs) and whatever. Um, When the Football League, I'll try and keep this short. When the Football League originally started saying to clubs you can sell your rights qpr were the first ones to say to say no no to say yeah we'll do as in to say no to the efl product oh yeah they ditched, the, yeah they ditched the nonsense efl yeah, thing and yeah. did it themselves they got a little production company of uh in from norwich um they had four cameras at every game they had andy sinton and nick london they did it as a proper production and sold the product that you buy which by I think the turn of last season or whatever was turning like a minimal, it was break even basically. The league this year uh, changed their tack and have now started themselves putting four cameras in at every game, um, so that Quest have four cameras at every championship game for their highlights and 
the Sky package has four cameras and whatever. So they've sort of followed QPR's lead and then offered that out to the clubs as a highlights package. So QPR no longer have to hire their own production company, the Football League, do it. Um, and then effectively they purchase it off. Yes, it's, uh, it's made the difference to us in the tune of about £100,000 a season to do it that way. There are numerous drawbacks, like... The highlights, like I say, get a generic football league commentary rather than Nick London and Andy Sinton. Um, the QPR can't direct their own yeah. coverage. They can't. Nick London can't say, oh, can we have a shot of Darnell Furlong or whoever it is at this point? Because I'm talking about... Yeah, him. it makes it hard to do the, the actual coverage. Like They also don't get a, they don't get a little screen anymore. Mm. So apart, they do at Loftus Road, but at the away games, the commentators... Um, uh, when you're when Andy Sinton's talking over a replay at away games, he's not seeing that replay. Nick London gets in his ear and goes, "There'll be a replay now. Can you kind of guess at what it. happened? Yeah. Imagine what it looks like." So Andy Sinton talks over a replay that isn't there, which caught them out at Forest because they didn't know why the Forest goal had been disallowed because they didn't see the ball move. Uh, but yeah, in the massively long answer to your short question. Uh, it's to the tune of, I think it makes about, now it makes about £100,000 a year. It's like, it's minimal I, I will say one thing, and I know this is probably your favourite topic of how incompetent the EFL is. When you strip out the parachute payments, the amount of money that clubs who are not getting parachutes pa- parachute payments make in terms of broadcasting revenues is shockingly low. And yeah. when you think about how much companies like Amazon, Netflix, not Netflix, but Amazon, Twitter even, all of these big companies are paying for sports rights, it's actually disgraceful. And whoever is running this piece of EFL should be sacked straight away because you have basically 200 markets all over the world that you could sell rights to the championship to. And people are dying to get sporting content. Um, so the fact that it's clubs are only making, I think, seven or eight million uh, a year is, is well, I pathetically think low. That happened about was it 12, 18 months ago. It was everybody's favourite league chief executive, Sean Harvey, that did a five-year deal with Sky to that effect. Like, everyone got seven million quid and, that, and that's your lot. And the clubs were so, the championship clubs were so fuming about it at one stage, it looked like they might break away. Yeah, there were rumours because of Because that. it's, yeah, yeah. like you say, it's such a ridiculous mm. deal. You're, si- you're signing our life away for seven million pounds a season in this climate where, like you say, yeah, there's all of these new players like that crazy. want content. We went off piece a little bit, but I do I think that's that's important little bit of context as well because I think the access element, like my brother lives in America and he, he gets to watch every single game and um if I'm not working at the away games then I, I won't see that coverage. And I think having that access as well on, on the sky red button does put people off, especially when it's freezing cold on Tuesday night. But I know several like people said, that didn't go to the Derby game because it got to about five, six o'clock. It was a horrible night. Mm. And they, they are Sky subscribers. Yeah. And I was starting to get WhatsApps in the crown going, if you can shift my ticket, shift it. I'm just going to stay at home and watch it on the red button. So it has to have an effect. And also, I think, that, like you said, the sad thing is, is that Tuesday nights or Wednesday nights used to be, you know, iconic at Loftus Road, especially at both periods when Holloway's in charge. There were some amazing games on a weekday under the lights chaotic, mad games. That Liverpool game, that was a weekday game. You know, these these incredible matches, the City game that we ended up losing 3-2 at Loftus Road, that was a weekday game. And we, we're not having that energy anymore. It's, it's, oh, it's just so depressing. I've put, I've put it to Who's over and over again, and Who's is really pragmatic. I mean, when he was at Burnley, 
there was a game they played a derby game against Blackburn where the Burnley fans in the side stand at the end ripped some seats out and threw them at the Blackburn fans and who's added up the cost of replacing the seats and added it to the ticket price for the Blackburn game the following year like literally two pound each so he is penny he's penny pinching like tight bastard okay Mm. but that's that's what we need after what went before and you talk to him over and over again and you say, why don't we do free tickets? Why don't we do school tickets? And, you know, he's done... I don't know he's if it's done the, the freebies, sums. He's though. done the sums. Um, I, you know, you've got... You've got I think when they do it. the deals, they do it at the wrong time. So they do the deals for cup games. No one wants to go to cup games anyway because our form is crap. And we they know that we're going to lose. The atmosphere is going to be terrible because half the ground's going to be closed. So when the deals come along, it's for the wrong games. And then if so, if someone does take their family, they're going to take their family to watch us lose to Portsmouth I saw a few, in the opening I saw round a few of the tweets cup. from family, like people with families at the weekend saying, I took my family to either Derby or Birmingham. And people are talking about, well, you know, one dad and two lads, poor you would know, but like 70, 80 quid, you mm. know, if you roll up and buy on the day, plus a booking fee. Now that's, yeah, that's, that's not, not going to attract any, no. any walk-up. Who's then again tells you he doesn't really want walk-up, he wants people to commit to a season ticket. So it's all designed to try and, you know, send you that way. The one, the one opportunity I do think we have for those midweek games, because of the family stand... Obviously, people on a cold Tuesday night, if, you know, when it's not half term mm. or whatever, the lower loft's empty. Could is there an opportunity? And this will maybe lead into the rail seating thing that the club are consulting on. Is there an opportunity to take a block or two on a Tuesday night and do an offer of like ten pound a like? It sounds really wanky, but like ten pound a singing ticket, and you can have those two blocks, and we're going to try like yeah, create you can stand, something. You can yeah. stand up there. Yeah. You know, Tuesday nights at Loftus Road. I don't, I don't know. Just, I, I, think, I was just looking down there against I think Derby, this, thinking this is a wasted opportunity. The, Look at this. The, the safe standing movement will improve things. Uh, within the next 10 years, or most stadiums will have the safe standing implemented. All the new ones will, definitely. And that will improve things for the better. I think it's about working out our place within the sort of West London football dynamic and trying to get back to the attendances we had when we were, you know, in Division 2, and not even doing that well at but points we, we but had. We were better. winning. Yeah, and nothing we, succeeds like winning. Of course, like, the results. If we if we were if we were if we were sixth, there would have been six thousand more people there at Derby. It, it, it's just it, it's that run. You've got to build a bit of excitement. You've got to build a run that people want to go on a, a journey that they want to go on through the league with the prospect of reaching the playoffs. That would be an amazing pull to see that final kind of transition and you know when you look at the other teams around us their attendances haven't been great either so we're not alone in this it's not something that QPR are failing to do it's just a little bit um disappointing I guess but hopefully off the back of a you know fairly positive season sticking with a manager for once fingers crossed that'll be able to build a bit of momentum and then going forward next season there'll be a bit of a push I'm talking you know one two thousand more I'm not like not massively but just growing a little bit it's also hard when there's instability when a lot of people were saying in when I posed the question on Twitter it's building that relationship with the managers and the players when you've got players who maybe a lot of loanees but um, a couple of fans were saying, oh, I find it hard to build relationships or build a kind of, you know, 
yeah, bond with these players and managers that it's just a bit of a revolving door. So I don't hopefully, think this summer's going to help with that. Well, <laughs> maybe not. Yeah, I mean, losing star players, maybe not. But just a bit of stability in terms of who who's you know who's the head coach, who's who's in the boardroom, those sorts of things, which make people feel a bit safer about spending their money as well. Are you in your lads' season tickets? Um, no. Right. No, so, so, like, just how much does it? Cost, so, you know, can you give us a few? Like- yeah, so I mean, one of the things I was going to say so we've probably been four times this year. Uh, we live in Kent, so it takes out the whole Saturday. Um, the boys play football, so that's sometimes challenging. You get the train all in for the three of us, it's probably 150 quid. It's a lot, right? Um, and and but you know, even listening to what you were talking about, I think I agree, Hughes is very savvy, but I think commercially, I've never felt like anything. I've never felt like I've been targeted as someone who comes four times a year could probably quite easily four or five times could so easily come So you're on the database. Ten. They know I who could, you are. They know, they know when am. you come, you buy We're three all members. Uh, we've never been targeted. I'm definitely the kind of person that would probably come 10 times a year. If I, you know, if someone emailed me a week before and say, actually, those seats you sat in last time, those are available. Yeah. Press here, pay now, Apple pay, whatever. I, you know, yeah. I do it and so then apologise to my wife, right? You and, what does it cost when you and your two lads like buy... Just three tickets. Where do you sit and how much it costs? Uh, so we sit up aloft usually. Yeah. Because I love just sitting up there. So it costs 35 for me and they're about 18 each. Yeah. That's so on my head. 18 seems a lot for what they're Members, junior members. Yeah, under 12s. But so if they email, if they emailed you like the week, week before a game saying those three seats you had last time, they're free again and we'll knock 15 quid off. Or, Absolutely. Or, you know, buy two and we'll give you one for free. So so in many other businesses, that's what you do, right? Yeah, in ta- the targeted marketing. You'd have something targeted marketing three weeks before, two weeks before, one week before, two days before, like last push to get an extra few hundred people. You'd think you could get comfortably with that kind of focus to 15,000, 15,500. And I guess maybe with a smaller community club, little things, I mean, maybe they have a player call or something like that little kind of acts it's all about savvy marcoms like you can make it work you can make the most of it and i know they they often do the sort of target marketing when there's a sale in the club shop Mm -hmm. but i rarely have it come my way for they do often say like if you're a season ticket holder bring a mate for a quid or something like that but i mean obviously i never get an alert for that i get i get alerts like you say flash sale club shop have a scarf for a fiver but i i can't even remember getting that little text alert saying do you want to bring a mate for five pounds on Tuesday? Yeah. Like, it may be happening, but they don't, Do they don't publicize yeah. it. I don't know. Do you know, it, it's one of my bugbearers to what you said, which is the amount of money we spend on wages, which I get is, you know, economics and yeah. all of that good stuff. But, you know, players will train, right? For the rest of the day, why don't we get another two hours out of them to say after training, sit in as if Eze sent me a video message of 10 seconds saying, hey, Paul, Luca, Jack, would love to see you this Saturday. <laughs> yeah. I know, really cheesy, it's a bit wanky, but it would take him My, 10 uh, seconds. The rugby, like, league, the rugby league team I follow, Hull FC, do exactly that. They have players every week um, ringing on an evening, just ringing round people on the database saying, you know, offers on memberships or ticket, tickets for next game. It's like... And it's what, I mean, a lot a lot of the growing clubs in women's football are doing that. Aston Villa women, they spent the whole summer going and knocking and delivering season tickets and like single-handedly now they're only getting 1500 people on a good day every week we're not you know we're we're, bit, we're bigger than that but it is about that either reconnecting or making those connections and making it feel a bit special and yeah. pulling people in I, I will say it's really sad 
thinking about this idea that Sean Goss is no longer with the club because it would have given him some use. That's all you to do. Yeah, I tell you, Sean Goss don't want to be picking the phone yeah. up to me, mate. That would that would have been a long conversation for him. The uh, but there's there's other there's just little things like. Mm. It's really, really hard, particularly if you don't have a booking history or an account, to buy tickets on our website. Like, I d- there was a journalist that was coming with us last year to do a piece on, you know, our latest disaster. And I was, I was like, well, we haven't got any spares this week. Just get one off the website. And he emailed me about 90 minutes later saying, I've spent 90 minutes trying to get a ticket off I had to website. buy a whole bunch of tickets for people um, for the Leeds game, the FA Cup game last year, because they didn't have a membership. And they were like, I don't want to set up a whole account to buy for one game. Just for, but, we're trying to give you our money. Yeah. <laughs> My, uh, there's 11 of us going to Charlton next Tuesday. The club website doesn't let you buy more than six tickets in one batch. It, mm. And then when you try and do that, it says call, then you ring, and often you get put through to some Ticketmaster drone in Manchester. And that, So now I've ended up buying six Charlton tickets and five Charlton tickets in separate batches online, paid two separate bookings. Yeah, yeah. And paid two separate booking fees to the tune of, what is that, seven quid. And I'm now hoping that someone in the box office realises, oh, those 11 are together. Yeah. But, you know, at Fulham this year, we had six over here and five over here. And it's just, why are you making it difficult for me to give you my money? You should be, like, just take it from me. I yeah. want to give it to you. I'm stupid. Like, take it from <laughs> me. Like- and I know it's not a fair comparison, but full disclosure, uh, for Luca's birthday last year, um, he's been talking about trying to see Messi for like years and years, right? He talks about Messi as a... Anyway, went to Barcelona. Ilya's chair. And, yeah, same. Yeah. Similar, right? He's got good taste. <laughs> yeah. um, so he we went to Barcelona, the easiest experience to buy tickets. You wouldn't think it for Barcelona. Okay, I know, massive stadium, etc. It took me six, seven minutes to buy tickets for the four of us. So we went all four together, had regular emails, bought a couple of extra things, the stadium tour, et cetera. Not at the time because they just kept interacting with me and just much more the kind of the marketing, the follow-up, the relationship. Um, and again, the, the, the club's got all the details, right? Especially for members like me. Yeah, it's got all the data. It's got it's got that database. It should be targeting. That reminds me when uh, me and my little brother, when we were teenagers, went on a uh, went on a voyage of overnight trains across Europe to see original Fat Ronaldo play for Inter Milan <laughs> against Napoli. Like we'd get just like you had to go and see him. He was an incredible player, right? So it was our first big trip out. You know, me and me and little Paul and did this overnight sleeper train out of Paris. It was a great week and he got injured in the warm-up and Robbie Keane played. I was like, I can see that twat at home. (laughs) We could definitely talk all day about attendances and how to improve that, but marketing lads, if you're listening, Clive wants you to take his money, so try as hard as you can to get it. There's not much left. Be (laughs) quick. Make sure you get it, otherwise it'll be gone. Um, Preston, Saturday... Clive, are you going? Do you know what? I'm actually not. Right. Uh, and I'm disappointed because apparently Ben Pearson's pulled his hamstring. I mean, he was one oh. of the main reasons I'm not. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not. I, know, I don't think it's not a ground. They're, they're pretty good sides. Yeah. Um, the the second, it's, not, it's not a ground we have a particularly good record Second on. best home record in the, in the division. I was on their message board today doing a bit of match preview research. They are furious <laughs> about everything. They hate the chairman. They hate the manager. They I thought Alex was a good coach. This, I, I'm looking at Preston thinking, how are you six on your budget? Yeah, I think it's the amazing. managers do an incredible job. Honestly, there's a thread on their message board, linked through Loft Woods. Go and read it. You would think they are bottom of the league. <laughs> oh my God. Um, Football fans are weird. Yeah. I just, it was, 
it was odd going through it. It changed my whole perception. So all my questions for our match preview to the Preston fan this week is like, I've been reading this thread on your message book. Can you try and explain like why you hate Alex Neil, why the crowd are upset? I think it basically boils down to the chairman didn't buy them a striker in January, but their accounts came out last week and the chairman propped them up to the tune of 14 million quid last year. I think, you know, there's your answer, lads. I guess what does fill me with hope is the fact that they didn't turn up in the home fixture where we claimed our first clean sheet of the season and strolled to a 2-0 victory. So I'm feeling like, you know, if things don't go their way, we could make the most of an opportunity, but they are a very good side. They're well organised. They get stuck in with the shithousery. They make life difficult. They know what they're doing. And, you know, we are pretty one-dimensional now because we've only got one striker. So you know what you're going to get. It's going to be a 4-2-3-1 and we're going to try and, you know, use our midfield three and, you know, exploit that. And that's kind of all we have. So it's it's hard to, you know, surprise other teams when they know exactly how we're going to turn up. But it's Barnsley the week after and we always beat them. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I, at this point, I'm I'm a little bit less concerned about the results. Just looking to see how we're playing, how the, te- mm-hmm. how the young players are developing. So... How we can would, keep increasing Eze's value yeah, on a week by week basis. Eze's value, but more just that the players that we have who are going to be here next year. And this is one of the reasons I'm hoping we accumulate as many points as possible now is so that maybe we can see Masterson play more as opposed to Hall. Maybe Shadipo comes back into the side. Um, some of these other players, we could see what they're about. Um, so just want us to accumulate some points so we can accelerate that process to see some of our younger players. Is Hall's ongoing back situation... Uh, a worry. I did ask Warburton about it after the game, and he said that it's on and off these on and off back spasms. We've only got Masterson as our backup centre back. No one else. Like if we if Masterson plays on Saturday, we've got no other backup. You know, Cameron can slot in mm, potentially, yeah, but, but and not, ten games, ten games to go. Is it ten? Yeah, thank yeah, God for yeah. that. Ten more match previews. Ten games to go. Cameron could play there. Ball could play there. Do you know what? Probably Rangel could play there at an absolute push. Masterson could play there. I don't think Hall will be here next season. I think, you know, given when he came in and where he came from, he's probably now one of our higher earners. He's out of contract. He's been there for a weirdly long time. Has anybody seen his um, gender reveal party highlights reel? Oh, no. Is it on Instagram? No. I Do I want to see I it? I couldn't recommend it highly enough. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, I'm just oh, gonna watch out for the moving on. <laughs> watch out for the twist at the end. <laughs> uh, predictions then score predictions. Oh, a loss of some sort. I don't know. You know, but whatever it I'm might be. Already thinking about Barnsley. Yeah, I think one 0 loss. One one. Oh, uh, counts as optimistic on this. I think podcast. one. I think one nil loss probably. I think we'll struggle. I think to create, and they'll just be Preston. Ours end. Um, I'll, I'll kick off because I've got mine ready and uh, Chris supplied it. Uh, Tiger Feet 11 will be returning uh, f- ahead of the Fulham game. I've just got to now find my notes because I wrote it down. Uh, here we go. 21st of March. Um, unfortunately, that game is now an early kickoff. So it's going to be an early start, but 
always a great attendance for those walks. So if you are going to the Fulham game, then definitely make sure you're part of this because it's only down the road at the walk. Um, so Saturday, 21st of March, you're going to be leaving from Fulham and walking 10 miles to Loftus Road via Chiswick Bridge to arrive in time for the kickoff. The walk coincides with World Down Syndrome's day and will be an early start. So I would keep your eyes peeled on Chris Charles's Twitter feed to find out the exact kickoff time for the walk. But I'm going to say, how long do you reckon it takes to walk 10 miles with that amount of people? It depends who's <laughs> a while, I would say. But yeah. if you can't go, I can't sh- remember how long them, it takes. them some money. I it's did, a great cause. Yeah, I did the walk from um, Loftus Road to Wembley for the playoff final. I think that took about two hours. So I reckon this wouldn't be as long as that. Maybe an hour and a half. So let's say a 10 a.m. start potentially but even yeah even if you can't make the walk definitely donate one of the things that the club does amazingly well we've obviously talked a little bit negatively about the tendencies but outside of who's going to the games the club's community work is fantastic and continues to be fantastic so support the cause financially if you can't turn up if you turn up definitely donate as well and uh yeah it's an amazing cause and amazing project so if you are free definitely join that on the 21st of march Okay, I'll, I'll go next. Um, for my hour's end, I wanted to give a shout out to a player who has really impressed me. Uh, this is Dom Ball. You're shafting me. Dom Ball. Oh, Dom. No. Yes. <laughs> all right. Let's see who's right, taking better. Yeah. I've got a backup. It's but, fine. <laughs> um, I actually, I didn't have any judgment about him from where he came from, but I actually thought he wasn't very good. I remember the West Brom game. Yeah. He struck me as a player who's kind of allergic to the ball, hiding um, from, didn't want the ball in possession. And I don't know what happened. I think it was the Swansea match where I was watching him and I just didn't recognize the player. He was collecting the ball on the half turn and operating in tiny bits of space. But there were a few things I've noticed in the last two matches which just show how much he's developed as a player. I think against Derby, there was one sequence where he took a ball off his chest and tried to volley it in for a goal, (laughs) which for a guy who scored one career goal, it shows how much more confidence he has. And then I actually watched this back on the replay of the match because I'm a pathetic person, but if anyone's interested, at the 12 minute mark of the game against Birmingham City, he he Bright passes him a bo- passes him the ball in our defensive half. He looks behind him to see where the defender is. The defender's closing in on him. He lets the ball roll, so the defender's totally fooled. And then he plays a one time, first time pass with his weaker foot to Hugo, which unfortunately got intercepted. But that is just an incredible amount of skill, confidence, composure. Watching him in midfield, I think if anyone who has the, the pleasure of being able to actually go to the matches, just watch the way he reads the game in possession, the way he's flicking his head, taking a picture of the, getting a picture of, uh, of what's going on. And I just can't recognize this player from where he's come from. And Warburton deserves so much credit because he, and also the player deserves a lot of credit because it seems like he's improved, but it's just so nice to see a player who we've developed who didn't seem to be much of a prospect who genuinely, in my opinion, is is future captain. Just the way he manages what's going on in the pitch, the way he's marshalling the players, he's just such a good player. And I think he could be a real backbone pillar of the team going forward. And you talk about fattening up, you know, for Roost. He's a prime prospect, someone who wasn't really that highly rated, traditionally a centre-back, has been formed into this, you know, incredible defensive midfielder. And also I think what um, I really like about him is 
how kind of seriously he takes things and how passionate he is. Every single foul they concede or throw in they concede, he is so distraught about it. And he wants everyone to be at his level, to to have the same work rate as him. And you always need those slightly weird players like that who are just gonna who are just gonna try way too hard and be really upset about the most minor things because they they bring everyone up to their level and they make oh, everyone yeah. else care as much as they do. Just to pick, did you use passion as a as a as a thing? That I was going to say. And I was going to be, I don't know if I did use it, but I meant to say, um, shout out to Finney, because he, he's <laughs> yeah, very he's, passionate. And he's also in Northern Ireland eligible. Oh, God. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> All right, I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. I just, do you know, I, I thought Don Ball was a terrible signing for for a number of reasons. I've got, I've got a couple of mates who are Rotherham fans. They are absolutely incredulous as what I'm telling them at the moment about how well he's playing and also that he's playing central midfield, because I think Rotherham sort of use him as a makeshift fullback or, or whatever. Um, I thought it was a terrible signing, you know, because he couldn't get in the Rotherham team. And I also, I don't like it, coming back to a point from earlier, I don't like it when you don't have uh, a head of recruitment or a director of football or a head of scouting overseeing the signings and managers, you know, sign players they like and players they know on a bit of a nod and a wink. And obviously Warburton had worked with Ball several times before. He'd worked with his dad at mm-hmm. Watford. You know, there's a guy here that hasn't played for bloody Rotherham for three years. They've been bombing him out on loan. I was just like, oh, QPR, you're, you're doing it again, aren't you? But yeah, what a, what a pleasant surprise. I just, like you say, all, everything. I can't, couldn't agree more with everything you've just said about him. Last few games, absolute revelation. And to Flo's point, we're coming into that period of the game's you know, barring a disaster where they don't really matter. Mm. But Don Ball at the moment is playing and behaving like we're on a run to the playoffs, like it's a cup semi-final, like every second ball matters. And that takes people with you. Because he, he I can't even remember the circumstances, but he turned around and gave someone an absolute Mm. lashing on Saturday for playing him a, a dodgy ball in a dodgy area or something. That, you know, it carries people with you when you're, when you're behaving like that. And that's, I think Warburton mentioned that about him and Kelly and Lee Wallace when they all arrived, that they would, whether they played or not, would set standards. And in the last couple of games, you've really seen that from... Yeah. from I think he's going to be captain in maybe next year, but he, he will be the captain of the team, I think, at some point. Yeah, so I'm now stuck without an R's end. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I just, I, I think it, it's really nice, Flo, that you've you've kept your language quite ladylike this week. Um, <laughs> you, you, yeah, that's my, you know, you've, you, you, I try. yeah, uh, that you know, means my boys can listen to it. Yeah, you know, kids and misogynistic weirdos. They, you know, it's good for them that you haven't, you know, a couple of shithouseries. I think you use. We could, we could probably do without those as, as, as you know, as men listening to a, a woman football podcast host. But yeah, thank you for just keeping the language. You know, on a, on a ladylike level, this week. Kids. It's Clive, can kids, I can I get your take on one thing? Can you give us your Ilias chair jacket take? <laughs> it's rascal gear, isn't it? Who, who has sold him that? I mean, he kind of pulls it off, but also, who's who's sold him that? Come on. <laughs> also, we, we, you never saw the the bottom half of that because he did the shot, and you, I, I bet it's like dragging on the floor because he's tiny. There's no way a jacket like that fits him. Yeah, but you say you save on the VAT with child sizes, don't you? So he's, he's probably got it cheap. <laughs>
Um, cool. So for my R's end, I'd um, ask the boys for their uh, three favourite moments of the season. And I, I get, I'm a bit of an optimist and I like to stay positive. So the highs and lows of being a QPR fan, um, I thought I'd get reflective and a bit romantic. But there was, so their three were uh, the QPR Salona goal against Stoke, uh, the Bright Orsay Samuel goal against Birmingham, mm. uh, which was amazing. Um, and the first 30 minutes of the Luton game at home, which we went to, which I can't remember the last time I had Tony so Leisner Alona. Yeah, <laughs> that's me. Lovely. Well, that was a very nice, cheery podcast, I think. Not too negative. That was quite nice. Are you going to swear, though? No, I was, going, I was trying to think of a word, but then I thought maybe not. Uh, well, Paul, thanks so much for coming on, and also thanks a lot for supporting the podcast. Um we actually really need you to continue sponsoring it. So please don't stop because <laughs> most of the cables uh, that producer Harry has to deal with are, are broken or frayed. So if you could continue pledging, that would be uh, really helpful. And if anyone else wants to also um, enjoy some of the uh, you know amazing entertainment that Paul's had this evening, uh, you will get to come on as a guest, I think, if you become a patron. So you, you too could be sitting alongside Clive and Raul discussing QPR's accounts and uh, Ilias Chez's uh, Do you know what I think choices. could be a good idea, by the way? We were talking about targeted marketing. What about if Finney calls some podcast <laughs> listeners? That might... What Watch about, out. What about if we threaten that Finney will call if you don't pledge? I feel like we might get done for a GDPR uh, scam. <laughs> anyway, uh, hopefully chat to you all next week after a big win at Preston. UPR. UPR. This one right